Ourselves Black is a place where we own the narrative and are unapologetic about our goal, to share imagery, information, and stories infused with knowledge that promotes black mental health. This is the Ourselves Black podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Y. Vincent. On today's edition of the Ourselves Black podcast, part one of a two-part discussion with Dr. Erica Goodwin about non-medication treatments and finding mental health providers. Dr. Erica Goodwin is a graduate of Spelman College. She completed her MD at, at Emory University and her general psychiatry residency at Morehouse School of Medicine. She then completed a child and adolescent psychiatry fellowship at Children's Hospital Boston at Harvard University. She has held multiple leadership positions in the American Psychiatric Association. Her goal is to provide thoughtful psychiatric services that are fueled by love. She also has a passion for assisting others with integrating principles of mental wellness into everyday life to maximize their personal happiness and success. She is a contributing author to the book Mind Matters, a resource guide to psychiatry for black communities. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of the Ourselves Black Podcast. We have on the show today as our guest expert, Dr. Erica Goodwin, and she is going to be with us for two shows. Dr. Goodwin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And so this is one of the questions I ask a lot of my psychiatrist experts, you know, especially my black psychiatrist experts, because many of us did not go into medical school necessarily thinking psych. Um, what was it that kind of drew you into the field and into being not only a mental health clinician, but an author and an advocate? Well, I think one of the unique things about my story is that I did absolutely no psychiatry before I decided I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I originally had always wanted to be a pediatrician. I was a really sick kid with terrible allergies. I get pneumonia every couple of years and have to go in the hospital. And everybody in the ER kind of knew me by name. So I thought I was going to be a pediatrician. It was all set and ready to go. My pediatrician even gave me the pictures off of the walls in the childhood office when they remodeled. Then I got to med school, and I woke up one morning the summer before third year started. And for those that aren't in medicine, third year is when you do your clinical rotation. So before I even went in the hospital, I woke up one morning with this epiphany that I was going to be a child psychiatrist. So when I originally decided to be a child psychiatrist, I had absolutely no reason other than this epiphany. Wow. Later came reasons why, including the fact that I believe I've always been a bit of a creative soul. So I love the fact that there's an element of psychiatry that is spiritual and that helps you feel like you're helping people's soul. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is, there's an element of it that's an art. And one of the things I love the most about it is you can directly see how you impact someone's quality of life. So I find a lot of meaning in that type of work. So I've, I've loved it, but I had no idea why I would love it until after I did it. And my dad brags a lot about me being a child writing neighborhood newspapers and newsletters and doing short stories and drawing cartoons. So I, I guess there's always been a piece of me that has always loved to write. And I had a blog for a while. So it was a natural progression at some point that I would actually write a book. But this particular book 
kind of came along in a unique way of just synergy between numerous colleagues that were almost like family. So I'm excited to now officially be an author. Yeah, so this, this book we're, we're mentioning, so Dr. Goodwin is part of this black psychiatry super team brain trust that uh, wrote this book together, Mind Matters. Um, so Dr. Goodwin, could you tell the audience a little bit about, about this, this project? Sure. So this project started um, at some point, you'll, you'll probably hear from Dr. Napoleon Higgins, and he had this idea that we should write a book about black mental health. And he brought it to another one of our friends, and they said, let's do it. So we've been just called quite a few of us up, and we sat and talked on the phone, and we're like, this sounds like a great idea, and then hashed out a lot of the details. And as we went through the idea behind the book, one of the things we really wanted to do was make sure we wrote a book that was accessible to everyone. Because there are a lot of textbooks out there, but we wanted to create a book that was a very usable resource that could be used in the community, that could be used for anyone that has a mental health issue, someone that supports or loves them, people that may interact with people, people that are on the front lines that may not necessarily be a psychiatrist, but could use some additional information, such as people in the church. But we just wanted a book that would just really be able to actually help people and that when they got in their hand, they could really read it. So when we wrote it, we decided that our avatar was going to be Big Mama. So that it was kind of like the thought was, well, what would Big Mama want to hear? How would Big Mama want this package? So we went through and literally had a process where we would go through each chapter of multiple people to try to make sure that the language remained something that was very accessible, that didn't have a lot of medical jargon, that just felt really down to home because we wanted this book to feel like, like a conversation you might have in your kitchen among friends or family. And so it boiled down to we decided on a conversational question-answer format with questions that are ones that would just be in a regular conversation. So we're extremely excited about it, and then we decided we wanted to be a resource guide. So the full title is Mind Matters, a Resource Guide to Psychiatry for Black Communities. And we wrote it in a way that you can read it front to back, or you can pick out specific chapters that are related to something you're interested in and just pick those out and read those. Very, very cool. And it it really does sound like it's gaining some traction and and getting, you know, much needed attention. So I'm glad to see the the initial beginnings of the success that I know it's going to have. So um, I know Dr. Goodwin did some work in the book around non-medication treatment, and I think that's, you know, really important for a number of reasons. Um, and I think sometimes people are surprised to hear psychiatrists talking about about those. Um, but the reality is that we really do want people to think about other things that can that can help them. Um, so, Dr. Goodwin, what are some of those things that you that you discuss or that you think are important for our readers to know about? Well, one of the first things I discuss in that chapter is the fact that one of the reasons it was important for me to communicate this information was the perception that a lot of times that African Americans or people in the African diaspora may not be sophisticated sophisticated enough to handle some of these other interventions. And I want people to, to realize that there are other options. Now, there are times where someone may need medication, but it's part of a role of putting together a full treatment toolbox 
that can be helpful. And one of the things I thought was really important to communicate was that there are a variety of things that can be used together with or without medication that can help someone get better and that we all know someone that's just had a really tough time, a really tough life, and there's not a pill that's going to take someone just being really poor away or a pill that will fix severe trauma all on its own or a pill that's going to fix someone just got fired from their job. So it's important to have these other components to be able to assist. And so if someone um, is saying, well, you know, I really need help or my loved one really needs help, how do they think about should they do the non-medication route, should they do the medication route, or, or should they do both? Like what helps families know, you know, what they should be looking for or if one would be more effective than the other? So one of the things that's really important to look at when you look at if someone needs medication or not is there's a word that you hear a lot used by psychiatrists and even psychologists called impairment. So a lot of it is looking at the level of impairment, which is basically just saying the the level that whatever is going on, whatever illness or problem is impacting the rest of someone's life. So what typically we look at when we're looking at medication versus non-medication as the first portion of that question is, is this something that's so severe that someone needs medication immediately? Or is this something that has the time to work with some of these other interventions alone? Because the first, a lot of times you're looking at, one part of the question is, do you need medication or not? And the other part of the question is, what are the role of these other interventions? And if someone is just super sick, that those are times where someone would most likely need medication along with some other interventions, such as a lot of these non-medication interventions will not totally clear someone if they're having psychosis and hearing voices and paranoid and those kinds of things. Those types of illnesses typically will need some element of medication. And so the first part of the conversation is, is how impaired is someone? The next part of the conversation is, what are the roles of these other treatments? So there are some people that will use these non-medication treatments and there won't be medicine involved at all. And those are people that are in a position where, number one, they can engage in these treatments in a, in a healthy way, but also they're not so sick that you feel like they can't wait the time out for it takes for these to kick in. Um, because a lot of the non-medication treatments may not, work immediately, so you just need a little bit of time to wait on those. Um, the other thing to look for is also what is someone interested in doing and willing to invest in. Right. So it's hard to do psychotherapy if you're not comfortable, number one, going enough to get enough therapy sessions or ready to do the work. So the other piece is there are all these different elements it's just a matter of what works for each person. So what we end up doing functionally is you're assessing which things work for which person, and a lot of times it's a combination of things, not just one thing. And that yeah. was one of the big things about this chapter is that these treatments can be used alone, together. They can also be used with medication or without medication, just depending on what the person's need is. Yeah. 
So it doesn't have to be an either or. And, you know, I, I liked what you mentioned about therapy, um, about, you know, people's willingness to go and engage. Um, and, you know, I talk to patients about therapy like it's, you need, the, you need a right dose, right? Like going to therapy every six weeks is not going to cut it. You got um, it. And so when you're talking about non-medication interventions, and we kind of have alluded to therapy, but what do you, so when we think about that from a medical standpoint or from a mental health professional standpoint, like what are some of the examples of, of the forms that can take? Probably the one that's most commonly talked about is going to be psychotherapy or therapy for short. But there are other things that can be used, such as meditation, yoga, exercise, um, diet, sleep hygiene, which is just a fancy word of things that help sleep that aren't medication, um, prayer, spirituality. Then on the other end of that spectrum of non-medication treatments include something called transmagnetic stimulation and ECT or electroconvulsive therapy. And so when you're when you're looking for these things or trying to trying to figure out how to access them, you know, I think people are are familiar with, you know, going to their PCP and getting medications, maybe even psychiatric medications or going to a psychiatrist. Um, what are some resources for helping them figure out if some of these other treatments, one, are helpful for what they're dealing with and two, like how it is that they can, can get to them? I feel like one of the one of the best resources is for someone to talk to whoever their doctor or their provider is, um, because that that's one of your first entry points. So a lot of these non-medication treatments, especially when you're looking to actually treat some mental health issue, you still want someone keeping an eye on what's actually going on. So one thing I wouldn't necessarily advocate for is we say, oh, there are non-medication treatments. Why don't, we, why don't I just hop on Google and have no one actually take care of me and I'm managing all of this stuff myself between Google and Firefox and whatever and WebMD. Right. So, so, you know, the one thing I want to stress is that even though there are non-medication treatments, there's still an element of your treatment that still needs to be supervised. Now, we'll probably talk further about who are some different players that could be in your mental health team? So your, your treatment may be in a, being managed by a psychiatrist, it can be managed by a psychologist, it can be managed by another therapist, but there's usually someone in that picture, even for some people with their primary care provider, that is still keeping an eye on how you're doing and also kind of helping you navigate the treatment. And so I want to stress that it's still important that even though these non-medication treatments are out there, that there still needs to be some level of supervision. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point. And, and part of, I think sometimes the idea of getting help, you know, can be a challenge and that um, the stigma that can come with mental health can drive people to try to figure it out themselves. Um, but that may be a point in time where they're really the least optimally primed to be able to do that without an extra set of eyes and without some added perspective. Well, that's true. And one of the difficult things is, and one of the reasons we wrote this book is 
there are just people suffering and they're suffering because they feel uncomfortable getting help or they've tried once and it didn't go right so they really didn't know what to do. And even as a psychiatrist, when people ask me for a referral or what should they do, it's a pretty complicated system to navigate even as a professional in the system. It's a lot more complicated than someone finding someone to treat a cold, a pneumonia, their diabetes, or breaking their arm. So it's, it's never a surprise to me that the regular everyday person finds it such a challenge to find someone, and that's when it comes in handy to talk to your primary care provider or to also use other resources such as um, I'm probably sure there's probably been another episode you've probably spoken about NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mentally Ill. Yeah. And it's an organization that is it's not driven by mental health professionals. It's actually driven by families and people that have dealt with mental illness. And it's very accessible and user-friendly and has a lot of resources and information that can be helpful, especially if someone doesn't necessarily feel comfortable initially getting their initial information from their health provider, but also by linking people with folks that are struggling with things like them to decrease their feeling of stigma. Very good. And that's really helpful information. And so, you know, people are hearing you speak and they want to know um, how to get in touch with you or learn about the book or think about collaborating or continue this discussion. Uh, What's the best way for them to do that? Well, for questions about the book, um, we have a website. It's called www.g, as in girl, H as in Harry, P as in psychiatry. Oh, Lord. And then spell the rest of psychiatry. I guess I should have just spelled it. Napoleon's going to get you. (laughs) Well, I realized it's easier just to spell it. It it stands for Global Health Psychiatry. Yeah. But it's www dot g h p s y c h i a t r y dot org. Yeah, and so we will, and we'll have this. If you're not looking <laughs> at the site as you're listening to this, we'll have it on the site, the link to the site, and all that. So, yeah. And if on social media, we're at G H Psychiatry. So the entire group of authors makes up Global Health Psychiatry. Then if you're looking for me in particular on Facebook, I'm Dr. Erica. On Twitter, I'm Dr. Erica with Dr. spelled out. And on Instagram, I'm Doc, D-O-C-E, good. Awesome. So those are probably the, the easiest ways to find me. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise uh, today, Dr. Goodwin. And we will have Dr. Goodwin back um, for part two, to talk more about that process of picking out your, your mental health team. Thanks again, Doc. Thanks so much.